Well, praise the Lord. Um, so much to be thankful for and um, to direct that thanks to Jesus Christ specifically in our lives is, is what we need to do here. Um, we have today's message and next week in this little mini-series, and, and next week will be the last one. Uh, today, we are looking at, um, again, gospel-driven perspectives on politics, and the title of this message is Caught in the Maze. And uh, it's that time of the year at Latin Farms where you can go to the maze and get lost. And I think somebody has been lost in the maze. Somebody got lost in the maze... I don't know who it was. I think someone in our congregation. Anyway, they are very, they're very thankful for the, the guides that are up on the, the banister up, up there in the, the walkways that, you know, when you're lost in the maze, you know, you're, you're, you continue to walk into a dead end and it's, it's no fun. And so those counselors, uh, those guide uh, people, they do their job well there at the, at the maze and uh, our relationship to this is the fact that many times here in America, we get caught in similar things. You know, we get caught in a maze. Um, it's, it's something that's it's, it's very evident, folks, of some of the difficulties that we as a country are dealing with. And it's a difficult thing to find your way out. Well, here this morning, I want to point out some of these uh, problems that, that we have in, in our country. That there's a, a very fine line in between some of these issues that we're dealing with. You may recall in your history lesson, the... Um, the French historian and French traveler and French uh, politician by the name of Alec Tocqueville who commented on uh, America. He came to America in the early 1800s, I believe it was, to figure out what the secret of America's success was. And he said, uh, one of his summary remarks, and maybe you folks remember this, he said, America is great because America is good. Interesting line there. America is great because America is good. I like that. I think we all like that. As Americans, we have a sense, and that's good, to have a sense of national pride. Right? We mentioned that a little bit last week. And this is good. But in the present times, we see a change. We, we witness a heart problem in America. America's got a heart problem. And we turn on the news and uh, obviously the news stations have to give the bad stories first because that's what really attracts us. That's what really spikes our curiosity. And so they have that habit of telling us the bad news first. And once we get to talking and responding to our country's condition, we start sharing our thoughts. And I guess that for the majority, you know what we really just want? We really just want to go back about 30 years. Say, why can't we have the decency and respect that we used to have? Right? But there's a problem. 
I mean, I want decency back in our, you know, in our country. I think everyone would. We want decency. Some of the things that are passed now for entertainment, they're vulgar. And mom and dad, you need to be teaching your children that they're vulgar and you stay away from that. You avoid it. It's, a, it's like the plague. Stay away from it. A lot of things that are there to uh, sour your, your child's heart and, and spoil it. And so we would agree. Well, yeah, let's clean up America, right? And here's the very catch. It's some of these, these two, especially the first two ones, they're like catch-22s. You're caught in, in between. And here's what I'm saying. Number one, if we look at this passage in Luke 11, we find that it's about self-reformation. Self-reformation. Luke 11, 24 through 26 is one passage that really reveals America, the, the American, listen, the American Christian dilemma. Okay? And we, we get caught in the maze of self-reformation. And here in this passage is one scenario where we can merely clean up our setting. Just clean it up. So let's look at what this passage is saying. Luke 11. Starting at verse 23 is the important verse. Because verse 23 tells us that it's, a, it's, um, it's clarifying that there's no neutral position with spiritual things. There's no neutral place. New, there's no neutral ground when it comes to Jesus Christ. It's not like you can stand in the middle and, and straddle the fence kind of thing. That's what he's getting at. Look at verse 23. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not scatter, I'm sorry, he does not gather with me scatters. He's mixing these metaphors here. Okay? And then he goes on to say, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man. Now, what he's referring to there is, it's got to be re- referring to some sort of exorcism, right? We say, well, we don't have anything to do like that. We're all decent people. We don't have any kind of demons to exercise. Well, beware. You know, it's not just like, oh, because that we're all Americans makes us free from this kind of thing. But he says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, it the unclean spirit, passes through waterless places or desert places. No life. There's no life. And it goes seeking rest. And not finding any, it, the evil spirit, unclean spirit, says, I will return to my house from which I came. Okay? And he goes back to the house from which he came, and what? And when it comes back... It finds it, what does that say there? Swept and in order. Cleaned up. Right? As if to suggest that, uh, as uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones suggested in his commentary, that this is about self-reformation. Not only was there an exorcism, out goes the, the, the demon, of which we have examples of that in the Gospels, But here now, here's the sweeping up and cleaning and setting it in order. 
notice there's nothing that's taken residence. No one else has taken residence. Empty house. Hey, and what does he do? He brings seven more spirits with him. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. Interesting passage. But I believe this is really um, along with the idea of here's exorcism of a demon. But here's also the issue of self-reformation. You clean it up. You sweep it out. It's fine. Is so, or so we say. What is this? All this is is moralism. Do you understand that? This is, here's moralism. Moralism being pictured. You just clean it up. You straighten it up. You put it in order. What? Your house. Your soul. Your heart. You straighten it all up. And along with this, this clean up your lifestyle approach, there's other examples in the New Testament. What about in Luke 15? If we were to go, we, we don't necessarily need to go there, but this story of the prodigal son. When he comes back, everyone's rejoicing except for the brother. Who's the brother? The self-righteous brother. The self-righteous brother. He says, hey, I've been here with you all along. You never gave me a party. Kind of an attitude issue with, with the Father, God. And not only that is an example, but also Matthew 19, if we were to go there, what's the first part of that story? Matthew 19 with the rich young ruler. Comes Jesus says, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Well, keep the commandments. Well, I've kept the commandments. <laughs> yeah, right. He was lying to himself. If you really nailed it down, no one can keep the commandments. No one. Yet the rich ruler was claiming to have done so. So, along with that is the whole story of Jesus dealing with the Pharisees. There's another example of a group of people, well-learned, very intelligent Knowledgeable in the word. Knowledgeable with the law. They knew the law and all that. But what was the problem? They had their lives cleaned up and in order. And they're shaking their finger at Jesus saying, Don't you tell us what to do. And what is so, what is so prominent in America? Kind of the, the spiritual pull up your bootstraps. Achieve with God. You've achieved on your job. You've achieved in so many areas. Uh, Think of it. America. That's our story. That's what we're about. Success. Right? But in whether it's strong ways or subtle ways, the issue of achievement with God is very thick. What am I learning? I I think I heard Michael mention this about what I've been learning this week. You know what came to my mind? It's not just this week. It's in my life. 
I learn more of how much of a sinner I am. You know, I struggle and I still can stumble and all those kind of things. If it were not for the grace of God, I would go crazy because I would have to then go to that achievement zone and climb the ladder and I I would never be stopping. I would never stop because I've got to have an image of being a pastor in front of all of you. That kind of thing. And why do I say that? Because that sneaks into my heart and my thinking. So that I'll be seen in favor with God. Look at Woody. Oh God, look at what I did for you. And see, that's very subtle of here, of any kind of an issue like that. It's very subtle how that sneaks in because I want God to see me. I want God to say, wow, he's really, I'm sure glad I have him on my team. This is the mystery of his love that we sang about earlier. This is his amazing grace that we sang about earlier. Okay? The Apostle Paul had this very thing going for him before he came to Christ. And he, he listed his resume, if you will, in Philippians 3, verses 4 through 7. He says, I was, I, you know, Hebrew of Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin. Top dog in the line of religious guys. That's what he could say. And what did he say about his resume? Apart from Christ, he counted it as dung. As refuse. As garbage. That's what he counted his wonderful resume of religiosity in, in comparison to Jesus. In comparison to knowing Jesus. So, it's, a very, it's very difficult to break away from this. It's what religion is at its core. As defined by man, religion is what? As defined by man, religion is what I can do for God. As defined by man, religion is about what I do for God. And what does God do with our you know, what is God, how, how is that seen by God? Our righteous works is, is like a filthy rag before God. And see, so here's the issue. Here's the fine line. In America, we want to promote this kind of thing. We want to promote this. And, you know, um, it, so it's a lot about, here's self-reformation. We launch a, a cleanup campaign for America. And it works. And many of you grew up Supporting moral majority. Right? You remember that? Where's moral majority now? <laughs> you don't see it. You don't hear about it. And at the time, you're thinking, yeah, that's really good. We need some cleanup in America. But we don't have moral majority. And they're shining, you know, the whole thing. And the, the, here's another thing. It's, I understand the issue when 
uh, President Ronald Reagan talked about a city on a hill. Right? But guess what? That was stretching the biblical interpretation a bit. Do you understand that? That's a nice sounding thing for a nation to rally behind. We're the city on the hill. That was for you, Christian. For you, individually, to be a city on a hill. A light that doesn't have a a basket over it. That you shine. And when we think of it in terms of a nation, it's like, yeah, America's a Christian nation. No. No, it's not a Christian nation. It's got Christian principles and foundations that we built upon. Okay? And we had, yes, many of the founding fathers were Bible-believing, Christ-honoring Christians, but others were not. And so, this is a very challenging issue. It's difficult to distinguish or discern our real need for salvation when everything's all cleaned up and fine in America. Why do I need a Savior? I mean, look at my life. It's really smooth. It's sailing along great. The economy's fine. And so it's difficult to discern. Here's what the, the heart of a man or a woman really needs. Because, hey, I, I'm, I'm in America. Everything's fine. Listen. Our morality for this country is good. We need to push for that. We need decency. We need respect. We need honor. Yet the catch in it is... That kind of approach with God is an abomination. Do you understand that? Trying to do your own, your own works, your own effort to please God on your own power, on your own strength, that's a, that's an abomination to God. Why? It, uh, it diverts you immediately away from the grace of God found in Jesus Christ at the cross. When He cried out, it is finished, he was saying that for a, a work that was done. Morality, listen, morality as our justification is an offense to God. It's an offense to what Christ did. And I believe this is a bigger problem than we know of and that we admit to. I want you to look at Galatians chapter 3, because for most of us in this room, I'm not saying all, because I don't know everyone's heart. I don't, I don't know where you're at really, but Galatians chapter 3, go through Romans, First and Second Corinthians, and then Galatians. Galatians 3, verse 3. Follow along. He, Paul writes this. He says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? See, the first part of the question is that Christ did a perfect work. And when you have faith in His perfect work, it's, uh, there it is. You, you are counted now as righteous you are counted now with Christ's righteousness and there's nothing that you have to add. You are His. But now you, you show by your works that you're His by how you live. 
You're saying, I, I, I love the Lord. I want to serve Him. And so there's where works comes in. But see, the next part of the question is saying, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, are you now trying to please God for your salvation? Is that what you're trying to do? Now, you're trying to um, gain justification by, by your acts, by what your, your works are? That's the problem. It's a severe problem. And so, this idea of aiming for decency, moving towards that which is, is, you know, moving towards that is good. But if it's the goal accomplished without the Spirit of God, it's only a nice cleanup job. It's devoid of the Spirit. And notice the, the remainder of the story in Luke 11, 25 through 26 is the demons find the house cleaned up, swept up, all reformed, self-reformed, all cleaned up, all good to be dwelt in, to be dominated now. And I'll say this. The work of Satan and the work of demons is not with the pitchfork and the red tail and the red outfit. That It's not that at all. It's, it's very subtle. It's very subtle. And yet it's very powerful still. The work of Satan and his army, it's very subtle, but yet it's very strong. Because it's got footholds, strongholds. And you and I are called to cast those things down when we have them come to mind. Cast them down. Don't take in, you know, thought anything that's against the knowledge of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5 in there. Okay. So that's our first dilemma. Self-reformation. Sounds good. But beware. Number two is self-reliance. Self-reliance. It's different, but still a bit similar. But this is self-reliance now on material issues. It's about materialism. Look at Luke chapter 12. Just one chapter over. From where we started, Luke chapter 12. Someone, verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Then verse 16, he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. Now, as we go through this, look here, as we go through it, take note of all the personal pronouns. All of them. Count them as we go. So, the land of a rich man was very productive. Verse 17, and he began to, he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do? since I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and will build, build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. 
So, here we have the emphasis in this parable by Jesus on the, the soul finding rest, finding comfort in what? Material things. Right? So you can see easily, this is materialism. is what one trusts in. It's addressed in numerous passages, warning God's people not to be caught or captured by our riches. If you're taking notes, Matthew 13, verse 22, or Luke 8, verse 14, when the, the sower sent out the seeds, one of the areas of ground that it landed on was thorny ground, and it choked out the Word. It choked out the Word. And that's what riches do. Riches, pleasure, comfort, our worldly comforts that chokes out the Word of God. Also, in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 through 10, take note of that, please. Verse 7 says, We have brought nothing into the world. Do I need to say that again? Any of you new parents uh, have any of your kids kind of bring stuff with them as they came? No. We brought nothing into the world, and so we cannot take anything out of it either. That's verse 7. And then in verse 8, it says this. For if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I believe that that passage is applicable to many of us. The reason for our griefs is because we have set our focus on these things, these riches, these pleasures, etc. But we want our children to succeed and surpass us and to be good stewards and all this. Right? You want that for your children. Your grandchildren, you want this. And so here's the other catch. We want our independence. And that's a good thing in a, in a certain way. To be independent. Yet, what is the Bible saying we need? We need total dependence on Jesus. And so in my mind, I... I there's a tug of war a lot of times it starts happening in your lives the tug of war starts happening and we've got to discern what's really happening as i enjoy my independence note that the book of proverbs is full of statements about money riches borrowing lending giving all about wealth and it's there giving us counsel wise counsel on how we use and not abuse wealth. Because in itself, wealth is, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with wealth. We've got Abraham in the Old Testament as an example of a very wealthy man. And so it's not a matter of saying, oh, well, you're all sinners because you're so wealthy. Which we are wealthy. No matter who we are in this room, compared to the world, we are wealthy. Right? So it comes to this. 
Jesus said these words, many of which you, you're familiar with this. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, do, listen, do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust come in and destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Yeah. Hopefully you've not had a thief break in or a burglar break in and steal. That is very irritating. Yeah. So don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And we get it confused. We get it mixed up. So beware that. Self-reformation, a maze we get in, in a mess with. Self-reliance, we get in a mess with that. More about materialism. So moralism and materialism. Number three, I, the best uh, I could come up with here to complete the R's is self-realization. Oh, oh, whatever they do, whatever. Self-realization. Right? All that. Actually, it's just about being self-absorbed, okay? Self-absorbed. Translated, meism. Meism. And you think, how, how much lower do we get in the scriptures? And it is getting kind of depressing. Moralism, not good. Materialism, not good. And now, this next one, sounds like we're going lower on the ladder now. Well, yeah, because of what the Bible tells us about it, and so we might argue against this idea saying, but well, wait, wait. Like our children, we want to um, build them up with a healthy self-esteem, right? Self-worth. That's what they need. And I agree. I totally agree. As long as we're teaching them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. When we remove that piece... Then we got whacked out self-esteem issues. We got whacked out self-worth issues. When you remove God, we got problems. You remove God out of the creation aspect. Now we got problems. Now we're saying we're evolving. Okay, same thing here. We must teach ourselves and our children about the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Also, Hebrews chapter 12, about the loving discipline of the Lord. When you do that for yourself and your children and your grandchildren, you will be learning more about yourselves through the lens of Scripture, through what God gives us. And this is what God intended that we learn about self-esteem in these ways. 2 Timothy chapter 3 talks about the problems of meism. It shares about a love of, you know, in the, in the last days, men will be lovers of selves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure rather than of God. That covers a lot of ground there, I realize. But that understanding of life is more and more prevalent as we see, as we watch what goes on. And it's right in line with all of Satan's efforts 
All Satan's efforts is to just do a slight little turn on the ship of your life to get you off course a little bit or to hold the, the counterfeit issue in front of you. The counterfeit of, well, just change the truth of God. In fact, Romans chapter 1 talks about it where the people have changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Romans 1.25. Man becomes his own God. So it's, you know, it's described clearly here. In, uh, again, in 2 Timothy 3, then in verse 5, it goes on to say that people hold on to a, listen, hold on to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. So they've got the, the badge of religion on them, but they've never experienced the power that Christ offers. It's just a man-made thing, a man-made religion. It's religion without the reality of Christ's saving power. That's what 2 Timothy 3, verse 5, is telling us. So, And there's other passages that, I tell you what, mark it down. We won't open it and talk about it here, but Philippians 3, 17 through 19. Philippians 3, 17 through 19. Paul says it there also. All of this, as we come to those in, in your bulletin, if you're marking it down on your, your outline, it comes down to this. It points out man's total depravity. We can take good things and touch it and stain it with our sin. The issue of morality in our country. Right? And But the good news is God's provided man's only, here's the next one, man's only way out. God's provided that in the gift of salvation. The gift of salvation is yours through faith in what Jesus accomplished. America needs a good cleanup, right? It needs a good, good cleanup. But more importantly, America needs Jesus Christ. So, we're going to set up a TV network that will go to every town in America and we'll preach the gospel to them, right? No, that's not going to happen. We can't do that. How does America change? One by one. 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 W-O-N. One by one. You let your light shine in a dark world. You let your light shine for Christ. We need to be able to share His gospel clearly, lovingly, affirm of, you know, in, a, in an affirmed way, not an apologetic way, in an affirmed way. Give the, give the gospel. God's perfect. Man was created by God. Man sinned. Man rebelled against God. God provided the remedy. He provided it and he talked about it immediately upon man's fall. Genesis chapter 3. It's there. And so the remedy is there. And what about the response? You pray for the response that the Spirit of God 
would open up a person's heart to the offer of God's gift. God's gift. God's gift of salvation. And my friend, if you're here this morning and you've been trying to work your way to please God, I would love to talk to you and point out to you that that's not the way to go. You will fail miserably in that. It's all about His grace. So, only the gospel of Jesus Christ will deliver the goods. Alright? Only the gospel. A new life, you're pardoned. A new theme, grace of God. A new citizenship, heaven. A new direction, holiness. And a new destiny, heaven. So let's not get caught in the maze, okay? Let's stand up together as we close. And I'd like to read this and then we'll pray. Let's stand together. We've got a great nation. God has blessed America. Got wonderful riches, wonderful people. But we can't forget about the greatest need that we have. And it's not self-reformation. It's not anything that, you know, in regards to that. It's about the grace of God found in Jesus Christ. Would you just close your eyes and listen to the words of Ephesians chapter 2. And then we'll pray. Ephesians 2, starting at verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness, toward us, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. Dear Father, thank You for Your Word. And thank you for your spirit helping us to to see more clearly as to what's happening, what's going on in our world, in our country. Lord, we pray that you would um, help us to walk in ways that show and demonstrate that truly we are your children. Help us to conduct our lives in such a way that shows that we're banking on your grace. Lord, help us, we pray. We're so prone to getting things twisted up to getting lost in the maze. Lord, I pray that you would help us and strengthen us by your Spirit for your glory to show that Jesus lives and that Jesus loves us. And we give you the thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.